All I want to do right now is not put more violence into the collective. Even though there's this activist part of me that wants to say, I'm fighting for the right side, but it doesn't need to involve attacking people who believe differently. It just causes more defensiveness. And what you're saying you've been so right about is like, just say, yeah, those emotions are real. That's you feel that way. I believe you. I believe that you feel this pain. Like that actually isn't contradictory towards the movement towards liberation. It's actually complementary. Welcome to the Art of Relating podcast, where I'm figuring out life, asking questions, becoming present with the unknown, and navigating the mystery with my dear friends. These conversations are one of my greatest resources, and I hope they can be a catalyst for you on your journey as well. I'm your host, Tammy Chow from Somatic Spirit. In this episode, I chat with my best friend, Kate, who I've known since we were 13 years old. How we know each other is I walked up to her and invited her to lunch on the first day of eighth grade, and she has been my soul sister ever since. We usually find each other on similar wavelengths on our journey, or sometimes she's up and I'm down, and sometimes I'm down and she's up. And it seems like we've been put together on this physical plane for us to help each other out and continue keeping each other on our paths as we grow and evolve. Looking back on our relationship now, there have been many times of rupture that we didn't know how to navigate, but in the more recent years, we've been practicing nonviolent communication together and have created a really beautiful, secure relationship by attuning to each other's needs while also respecting our differences. We're constantly on voice notes to the point where we're joking that they're so long that they may as well be podcasts, so We just went ahead and recorded this conversation and didn't really have an intention and just wanted to allow whatever was present to be here. So I cut out some of the boring parts of the beginning, so it just jumps right into the conversation. We talk about what it means to be self-led and how the conflict in Israel and Palestine are affecting us and how we feel about showing up and what activism means to us personally away from all of this social media noise. I really enjoyed our conversation and always feel like I come away from these chats with way more gravity and centeredness, and I hope that you might gain something from listening to it as well. What's been really on my mind is like systems. Like when I first started on this path, you know, it's really easy to be like, slow down, take your time, you know, create more space. But I really do think that everything happening right now between Palestine and Israel, it's bringing up a lot of, I think there's a lot of conversations that are being had that are things that have been circulating in my mind that I couldn't voice before. But I always felt it a little bit where I'm like, well, I have the privilege to slow down, you know, like I've had an education or also just opportunities where I could have a business at one point that allowed me to work less hours during the day and to travel. And a part of me was like, not everybody can just slow down and not everybody can just stop working because the way the system is set up is that most people can't afford a comfortable living unless they're grinding all the time. And so I really do like one of the conversations of like just a little bit of piecing apart this really colonized manifestation spirituality world 
that I'm so grateful led me into spirituality, right? When I moved from New York to LA and did a complete 180 and was able to start changing my thoughts and beliefs and everything. But it is really individualistic. And I really, more and more, it's true that I feel like it's only accessible to people who can afford that, who have opportunities, you know, and space and time. I feel like it's really being illuminated. Like, absolutely, of course, I'm going to continue teaching nervous system regulation and how we slow down and but not in this way that's like, just take a whole day, you know, because like I can, but like not everybody can do that being a parent and having a full-time job and everything. And then the other part that comes up for me when you're talking about systems. So I just got back. uh, I graduated from my somatic experiencing training. And the first two and a half years, I had chosen to learn from a white man licensed therapist, you know, who has his master's in psychology because I didn't realize, but that colonized part of myself was like, oh, I'll be legit if I learn from this person who has credentials. And this has been my experience growing up in Texas and going to school in the South. Like first when I was younger, wondering like why the fuck my connection with God or spirit was so different from what was being shoved down my throat. It's like in my body, I felt love and wholeness and and connection. And then what was given to me was shame and guilt, you know? And that's the same thing with what I experienced going through my training, kind of giving up my own internal compass to what I've only known growing up. And, you know, the entire time, I'm just like, why are we learning all of these concepts that trace back to indigenous or tribal healing modalities that without a doubt always had a connection to spirit, source, universe? And it's like none of that was being spoken about. It was just the extraction of the techniques themselves. And I have to say that, like, I think Peter Levine himself does reference these cultures and where he's learned them from in his books. Like, I think he's a thousand percent a shaman. Like, it doesn't matter if he's like a white man. And I'm so grateful that he's been able to take, you know, somatics and introduce it to the Western world so that it's like palatable and accepted more and more by mainstream science and healing now. But it was such a contrast when I, so I decided to transfer to the BIPOC group for my last, uh, what do you call it? My last module or whatever. And it was like the most transformative, spiritual, just amazing experience I've had because spirit, ancestors, everything was just in the room. Like it was like every other word out of people's mouths. And it was the first time that I was able to in a room of licensed therapists, people with their like masters and PhDs, you know, in this field, like I felt comfortable to have the mic and speak to what it, how important it is for us to hold the space of having spirit or universe or whatever be part of the sessions because that's where this work, you know, that's the medicine itself. It's not just the techniques of nervous system regulation, (laughs) you know, it's like that is in that is the connection to something bigger that it, that is our life force energy. Hmm. And yeah, it was just so cool being 
within a BIPOC setting and just reflecting now how much I've resisted that in my life. There was like an affinity group for some of the BIPOC people when I was in the Austin training and there were only about like 10 of us and I was almost not going to join it. It's so weird to like notice in my own body, like my own aversion to joining BIPOC things. That's still this internalized, like, I I don't need special treatment, you know? So I've been really reflecting on that too, about systems and how that changes everything that I'm doing, whether it's like my payment structure, you know, I don't know. That's just kind of where I'm at. And also feeling both invigorated some days, like I'm leading some like silent revolution and then also just like totally crippled by how the fuck are we going to get out of this? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I I know, because I had a conversation with another friend um, a while ago and I was being very optimistic because I had listened to that. And I think I sent you that podcast. It sounds like it's almost like silly of me to send it to you because it's like, this is stuff you already know. But for me, it was just very validating to hear someone say it. It It's so validating to hear him describe how many more numbers of people in the world see spirituality and work and uh, life and death as part of a larger collective system. Like one of the things he says in it is really good. He says like, you know, how sad is it in the West that we believe that everything we dream is ours? Everything in our mind is just something that came out of our own subconscious. Like, how sad is that? Instead of believing that we that we're getting these from a collective, that we're connected to living beings, and you know that we're sharing a consciousness or sharing dreams, rather than like this sort of limiting sad belief that there's just this like set of cardboard archetypes inside our own brain, just like rearranging themselves in like different like mother, father, child postures or something. It's just like very cool to realize like, okay, that's like not right. So it made me think like, I got really into this and I was like, like this time, like we're moving into the age of Aquarius, the age of Pisces was all about ration and reason and like Christianity, you know, and like materialist world. And now we're like, you know, moving into the space where the Western world is just going to fall. It's going to like totally crumble. Like the global South is going to be predominant, like the problems of, and it's true, the problems that we're going to be facing as a collective population, climate and fucking war, uh, and like the injustice of the wealth being consolidated in the hands of multinational corporations, not even governmental entities anymore, but corporate entities. The only way to combat these things is like we can't, we, the, the Western rationalist humanist approach will fail. It cannot do it. Like we need to embrace a culture and a belief system that has to do with our collective as connected, our belief in the wisdom of the ancestors, the understanding that we're in a continuum with those that have come before us. And so I was telling my friend this, I was like, we're seeing the fall of, you know, the way these old ways, like I'm so excited. And she was like, yeah, Kate, you're right, maybe, but you understand like, that's not going to happen. Like nothing falls easily. And she's right. You know, I've been reading a lot of these like historical texts about large sweeps of like time and humanity. And it's true, things fall, but they fall with a lot of death, a lot of suffering, a lot of chaos, a lot of hate, a lot of shit gets stirred up. And it does seem true that uh, this shit's not going down without a fight, you know? So never have. 
So I have this like almost, I keep being hopeful. Like, you know how like the Pope yesterday like came out with, was like, yeah, we're blessing gay couples now. And like Israel's terrorists. It's like the Pope is saying this is amazing. And I keep having this hope that just like the heads of all the organized religions and the governments will just start like shifting, like they're doing their own internal work and it'll just happen like really naturally and gracefully. But I just don't think that's ever happened in human history, you know? So I have this other attendant (laughs) fear, which is like, I got to get out of the way. Like, this is going to be ground zero. Like, I need to like find a partner who has like a passport to some other country. Like, I need to make alliances with the global south, like immediately. Like, I have to like get out of being so invested in this world, basically, and find some kind of like, I'm like prepping for this now. I'm like becoming a prepper almost scared too, you know? Can you define when when you say global south, what does that mean? Oh, like the, you know, bottom of the globe, like everything, like uh, Africa, South America, <laughs> Oceania. Okay. I learned that term actually this summer. It's like a thing that, you know, it's a term that people use, but I learned it this summer when I came to Living Threads with you and there was the Oaxacan potter and she was talking about the global South and it made me like really curious. And it makes sense because you realize like the hegemony that the global North has had, especially Europe and America and even China, India, you know, everything above the equator has had more power over the nations beneath it. It's like people who have greater experience with colonization, but also cultures that have all retained, even though colonialized, have retained a spirit of animism. Again, going back to that balance thing, it's like these cultures have suffered so much by colonialism, but they've also, you know, had a wisdom that fortunately the colonists have not been able to completely destroy. They should try. Yeah, I love that. Sort of like when I was in Guatemala and just connecting to the Mayan culture. And it's just so beautiful that that is just so strong and such a central part of cultures, you know, that that spirit or their connection to spirit. Something you said, you were saying it doesn't go down without a fight. And that's been on my mind too, because so far the like normal manifestation rhetoric is like, just focus on yourself and build abundance and everything else will play out around you. But it is so, it just, that that is just so bypassing of like the actual work that we need to do as a community. And it's like the mycelial network, right? Like when you see the mushrooms network underneath the earth, like that's, I strongly feel like what's happening for us as we move into the Aquarian age, like we won't be able to survive until we figure that out. And what you were saying reminds me of like Kelly Brogan when she talks about complementarity, because like we both love that term. It's like, realizing like each of us are individual puzzle pieces that fit into the whole and that you can be you and I can be me and we're different and we don't have to agree, but we could still exist together. And that kind of reminds me with everything going on in Israel and Palestine. I feel like if we're like tying it back to nervous system regulation, like I think there's just this collective exhaustion of everybody feeling like, and this is like one downfall of social media. I love it for so many reasons, but, but when you're constantly seeing things like you're, you should be guilty for not posting and you should also be going out there in the protest and you should be doing your work. I'm not saying that. Like, I think it's really great, actually, that all of these things are in social media. But I think for myself, I tend to have a I have a tendency to be the good girl. So if I'm not doing all the things that I see in social media, it creates this energy in my body of guilt. And I think something I really 
appreciate in this conversation about like we each have our roles. I've come to terms with like it can be exhausting if somebody thinks they need to both call their representatives every day as well as be out at every single protest as well as see how they can integrate changing the world in their daily lives as well as change their entire job so that they can do this. And so I feel like in us being puzzle pieces, it's like, you know, you and I have had this conversation offline where you're like, I feel so guilty for not being at the protest, you know, and I'm over here like, I just think that there's like roles for each of us. Like there's the activists who like need to be out there holding the signs, having the protests because it's like growing the awareness. They're, you know, the people who are making the social media posts, educating about what's happening. Like where I think I fit is I'm a space holder. Like I think I'm planting seeds for the future. Like this is my obsession is the art of relating a nonviolent communication because I see this as the underlying thing in our evolution that will actually help us learn to change the ways we relate out of fight or flight into actual understanding and figuring a way out of this, I guess. Yeah. So that's what comes up for me as you were speaking. Yeah. And your focus in the last few months on relating and the art of relating has turned that kind of like, it is like a capitalist. I hate just to like use these blanket terms, but it is true. That's what they are. Like I said, I don't have any kind of defined worldview right now. I'm just trying words and seeing if they apply. So I'm really just experimenting with communication period right now. But basically, like you were talking about this kind of like Western self-involved sort of materialistic manifestation, spirituality, culture. Again, it's reminding me that the West wants us to really see ourselves as these individuals who are individually and like the stuff that you're talking about, the social media things, like we've talked about it. Like, I feel that too. It's been over months. I've started to realize, like, I think that's shadow coming up for people when they're posting, you should be doing this or you should be doing that. Because again, it's reflecting an inner belief that basically like the survival of Palestinian people relies on me individually. Me, I, I have it all on my shoulders, which is egotistical. That is egotistical. And it's false. No one individual ever has had that kind of power. And actually like is like much easier for me to resist those types of messages now. And I'm, and I find myself when I get triggered and agitated, I start wanting to tell people, this is what you should be doing. This is what you should be doing. Like there's a friend of mine who's a male who this is like, we were talking about masculine feminine. I realized like there's something about him particularly, no one else, but him. I have very strong opinions about how he should be responding to Palestine right now. And that's a sign for me, like this one man, if he changes his approach, is not going to save those people. You know, I wish that was true, but I wish that any one of us could have that kind of power. But only Joe fucking Biden has that power right now and he won't use it. So fuck it. But sorry, you can edit that up. But like no one else has that real power. Why am I so fixated on this one man? And I realized that there's something like it's something, you know, it goes back to judgments or tragic expressions of unmet needs. What is my unmet need right now with this particular man? And with me, it's wanting to see Western men show up. I'm like desperate to see a type of masculinity that I I feel is so lacking. And, and it's that masculinity of defense, of standing in the gap, of saying you can't hurt this person. They are special. They are sacred to me because they're living They're, you know, and this, and I want to see that in Western men so badly. But then again, I'm like, why am I focusing on this one man who isn't doing that? Why am I focusing on where it's deficient? When, if I started to focus on where I see it, 
everywhere in the world. It's like, what's happening is I'm, I am creating more violence and more like separation by choosing to hone in on this one individual and claim this is what she should do. And that's really like a projection of my own kind of like ego. But it's, it's like this whole experience has made me realize like on a much deeper level than ever before, we are also connected. And any type of change that's ever going to come about has to come about through communities being knitted together. And so my action has to be, it can't be internal. It can't just be like posting on social media and then going to bed and saying, I did my job, you know? And like, that's why I like going to rallies. That's why I like going to protests because I, it's like a religious experience. You really are with a group of people and our energy is shared. We come together and it's like a, a collective religious experience of saying like, it's not just me. All of us here want, you know, Palestine to be free. All of us here want to say, Women and children and men should not be killed for nothing, you know, and that feels very helpful. So it's like going back to what I was saying before, you have really helped me realize with really refocusing your practice on relating and taking it out of the individual, realizing like the change happens where we come together, where the mycelium network is connected and where we create these nodes of understanding, because what's happening in Palestine now wouldn't be possible if we felt our connection to each other, but we don't. We were so easily divided. I guess I'm like learning to draw it out of myself and be like, it's not about my one individual contribution even. It's about how much am I putting myself into community and what am I bringing into that community, I guess. Yes. So what I really like about this conversation is like, there's so much nuance. I think I think that, that what's not reflected enough in social media or kind of gets drowned out because it's not as great of as like telling people what to do is that we're also being asked to like really sink into our own bodies and see what are the wounds within ourselves that are turned into our gold, like our healing into the world. And when you were saying, you know, your personal wound is the white man who won't, you know, show up to defend and would it be okay for me to kind of give a little back or just name your history if you wanted to name where that might relate to? Yeah, totally. Or you, you, I'll, I'll let you do it in your own words. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, but yeah, the last few months have been really about processing my parents' divorce. And like, yeah, it obviously comes from my father and like growing up in a family system where there was one person who had all the power, all the control and who was harmful, like to his children and to his wife. And I feel like one of my biggest wounds is like, I would try to say I either I'm being hurt, please stop, or someone else is being hurt, please stop, and to not be heard by the person who's supposed to bend and is actually the one part doing the harm. And then going around proclaiming themselves as the father, the defender, the protector, that particular archetype is very, yeah, is triggering. We'll just say that for me. Sometimes even in our activism or the ways that we show up in our work, sometimes it can be from shadow. And like you said, you were noticing that you were just drained by fixating on changing this one guy, right? And like, it's actually the ego being like, I'm doing something greater. I'm being an activist. But really, it's it's from ego, I guess. And I really love that because it doesn't mean that you get rid of your wound or your ego, but you found a way to transmute that into, okay, this is the wound. How do I actually uh, alchemize this energy and, and move it towards 
the ways that I actually do make a difference in the world. And I can relate in that, you know, I feel like I spent most of my life mourning my dad. Like I thought he was always going to die. Like he was always in the hospital, you know, getting his stomach pumped from alcohol or whatever, or driving drunk, driving drunk with me. Like I just constantly thought he was going to die. And, and so I, I, a lot of my grief weirdly was just always lamenting the words that were never exchanged between us that I wished I could have said, you know, in what, in what ways I could have related that I loved him, even if our relationship was so complicated. And so, you know, my wound has been, how can I continuously go towards these people who don't understand me and keep trying to get them to hear me or trying to help heal them or change them? And finally, it's like hitting that point that's like, no, my entire practice now is like, that's where that energy goes, you know, is like to my clients that I love, to the people in my containers, to my best friends, you know, you, like people who are willing to hear and be changed by it. And kind of speaking to just in the past few months with everything going on, really finding what is it in our bodies that are really true to our souls and our activism for how we show up for the collective and not necessarily being like, I'm just going to check mark all of these things that are being told to me to do on social media, which is just like another version of the authority-led system, like the patriarchal system that we've been following in the first place. It's more like, how are we self-led? Where do I go into my personal individual work, find my strength through that wound? And then that is the puzzle piece. That is so important. That is like pivotal to put into the system. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. Yeah, we're threading like a weird needle here because we're both talking about being self-led is very helpful because that's what I've been thinking a lot with in terms of my students. It's like, for example, let's just make it, you're trying to teach a class or lead a group of people who are in some way subordinate to you, either younger or don't have the information or whatever. So like for me, I found that it's made me a weaker leader when I'm trying to be group led in that way, because I know they don't. So when I'm going to them and being like, can tell me what works, you know, like what's working for you? Is this working? It like makes them, it's almost like I need to come in and say, this is what I think matters. I need to be self-led, but that makes me better in the way that I relate to people. And I think somehow we have inverted that accidentally in our consciousness, like amongst like maybe let's say the more progressive minded people who are trying to make a difference, but we become like group led actually, and less good for the collective because we're saying, oh, this person says I need to do this and this person. And, you know, we've talked about this uh, in terms of like what's happened in like major kind of like movements over the last couple of years, everything, even just like I think we can just name them BLM, like me too, like all these things. We also talked about like this influencer recently, who's a non-white female influencer, who we both really like, and she's saying great stuff about Palestine, but she's also started becoming quite aggressive towards other creators who are not doing that and particularly towards like white women which like fair but that is clearly like when i see that i'm seeing shadow and her own triggering being activated here and it's and not to dis not to like because i'm doing the same thing not you know and it's like making me realize that like when you go through something like this when something horrific is being turfed up and revealed to people when the crimes that not just Israel, but like the Western powers have perpetrated against just the specific people of Palestine. Or when we are really forced to reckon with the history and the legacy of slavery and like racial harm and hate 
uh, in America. And when we're really forced to reckon with the devaluing of women's bodies, you know, it's going to trigger people like people are going to get fucking triggered. And so if we're going around thinking, oh, we have to like, like even there's influencers, we like Kelly Brogan or like whatever. But one thing we like about Kelly Brogan is because she doesn't seem to call in a messianic cult around her. You know, you can take what you like about her. You can leave the rest. And that's like where I think we have to be kind of everyone is like, again, remember that we are a collective. There's not one savior. There's not one individual. There's not one person who's going to figure this out and they're going to be right. The rest of us are going to be wrong. And the more that we keep thinking about ourselves as these ego, egoist individuals who are somehow going to like save the group by doing what the group wants, like in retrospect, in the years have passed since BLM and things like that is like, it, there were a lot of people who were wrong and saying bad and wrong things during that period. That's what's happening now. There's a lot of people who are saying bad and wrong things. And there's a lot more hate that gets brought up. There's a lot more aggression, but it just reminds me of like how we are when, when we're individually going through some type of feeling, like you're going to get triggered. Your re- individual response is not going to be right, but there's something really good just about the fact that we're like all processing it together, almost like trying to see that the process itself is really worthwhile actually and like no individual act is really going to change things it's like we're experiencing it kind of as a body you know and that's what matters more than you know does that make sense yeah like when i think about the nervous system and also like in a macro way when we're coming out of freeze and systems of oppression like coming out of freeze in the body you actually have to come down the bell curve back into like a sympathetic fight or flight for example like a woman who experienced rape and then is finally coming out of that it's not uncommon that she feels like the desire to kill her aggressor and so there's like a lot of fight energy that's like flying around in social media and i'm not here to be like that influencer is doing something wrong i'm doing something right i really like bringing up this influencer like because I just like as wa- watching her content, I'm like, huh, like I learned something from it where I'm like, she's right. I haven't been posting. And I actually do think that I have a platform where I do want to post and, and keep it on people's minds. And at the same time, I think we're bringing up this really important thing to sift information. Like that's what I feel like about being self-led is like, I don't want to waste time talking about whether she should or should not be doing that, whether that's in her shadow, but more like within my own body, when I go into my own wounds and find the gold that my voice is here to, you know, to contribute, then I can sift her information through my self-led lens. And I'm like, cool. What did I learn from this? I learned that I do want to keep posting about it to um, continue bringing awareness. And the other part doesn't, I don't, doesn't resonate with me as much. I don't actually need to like go after her. I don't want to make a post about how this is in her shadow. I'm just like, that doesn't work for me. Cool. Toss aside, like continue on my thing, you know? And like, I think the same thing with like big movements like BLM, uh, Me Too, just like everything that has been happening on a big scale, like COVID, there have been really positive things that have come out of it, you know, just like huge awareness in BLM and Me Too. And of course, then the the shadow side of blame and and clashing. But I, I don't think that I could even like condemn that part. I think it's like a necessary part of the process. And of course, this goes back to the art of relating. It's almost like unless we lean into this necessary conflict, we're just going to continue to like internalize this, not really talk about it. And it comes out in weird microaggressions or fucking war. You know what I mean? Until we can grow our capacities and our bodies to be with discomfort with each other. And it's like this irony of like, the more we could be in the mud together, the more we can be different and like not 
want to kill each other. Yeah, it really isn't wrong in the end to say when you do this work within yourself, it does have an impact on the community. It can easily be interpreted in a bypassy way. But it is true that when we make space for the complexity within ourselves, then we become so much more like me even now compared to a year ago or compared to the middle of 2020 compared to BLM. Remember, like we were just so like, ah, am I doing the right thing? Like I felt so like led around by the nose, you know, like it was like anything I saw on social media was like, oh, I should be doing this. And like, I felt like this this enormous amount of like white guilt and like, I want to be the good white person and all this stuff, you know? And now I, I feel just in a couple years since where it's like, I feel much more self-led because of the work I've been doing on myself. And I'm much more able to say, you know what, I'll take that. I'll leave that, you know? I'm trying not to be racist or anti-Semitic or, you know, Islamophobic. But guess what? I was raised in a tradition that has all those things in it. And I might slip up, but I know what my intention is. And I'm, you know, like, I'm not like, "Ah," you know, freaking out. And I think that makes for better allies, actually. But what were you saying? It was like, oh, yeah. Like you were saying about the woman who get a woman who's raped. Part of her going down that bell curve might involve wanting to kill the rapist. And that is a necessary part of the healing. If she resists that part of the process, she'll never work through that part and it will always be in there. So it has to be allowed for. Not necessarily. Not killing. Yeah, but the feeling of it. Not right? killing like, the rapist, but moving through the rage, like reclaiming her own rage through her yeah process. And so there has to be space for the rage. There has to be space for that to appear non-judgmentally and for you know for it to be there and be like, this is a natural part of it. And the, the actual violent act would be more likely to happen if the rage is not processed internally. If you're given space to scream, as you obviously know from having done this years ago, then the violent act is, is much less likely to come out. So it's like knowing that, gives us more space in these times to be able to say, oh, that's just a person being triggered. Okay. Like, I'm not going to get upset reading the comments and seeing someone saying these things that are like horrible, but regardless of what I've seen horrible things on both sides, it's like people are being freaking activated right now. That's what matters. And I'm, yeah, trying not to get like too upset about what they're saying. Yeah. Like most of us have grown up wanting to be the good girl, you know, perfect in every way. Like, I feel like this is what I see play out in these conversations where we don't have the capacity to hold space for the other side is because what I'm hearing when somebody else is talking about their side is I did something wrong. So let me just go ahead and arm myself with all of these facts to tell you how you're wrong. For example, I feel for my Jewish friends or like Jews, this is like an ancestral pain, uh, like a massive wounding that has been in their physiology. And so it's understandable that that they feel like gaslit or that the entire world is overlooking something that is extremely painful in their bodies that causes extreme fear. And so in that place, it's almost like if you think about their inner child is just screaming out like, see me, like I'm not invisible. My life is not disposable, right? It's like this old, old young part. And so it's like almost responding to that part and not like the religion, the politics, you know, whether or not it is a genocide. Like it's almost like, yeah, I I imagine you're going through it right now too. You know what I mean? And then I feel like that that makes space for their pain. And then it makes space for the other side to be real as well. Right. It's like all things belong and everything is real. And I've been 
you know, this is something that like I've been following for like a few years now, but the conversation was never this widespread. And my initial reaction, not even really understanding how widespread amongst the Jewish community that sentiment was, but just hearing it from a few very strongly opinionated individuals. My first impulse was like, basically the attitude is like, well, that is so ridiculous. You are so incorrect. You are so wrong about being the victim here that my response to you will be to completely discredit it and to even mock you and to let you know how ridiculous you're being because I want you to feel guilt and shame for that mentality and so that you will realize how deeply flawed it is. If people, if everyone in the world is laughing at you, mocking you and and discrediting you and calling you crazy and even evil and violent, maybe that will make you realize that you're in the wrong. But actually, that's the way that I've been training myself. Like the reason that my mind goes there is not because it's the right response. It's because that's how I treat myself. That's how I learned to grow was like, oh, I'm being bullied. I'm being, you know, somebody's treating me like I feel so much shame and guilt that I have to change. And I've been learning in myself that that has not led to like, it's not a positive place to change from. And so recognizing like, yeah, it's like I have this impulse to just be like, let me just like let you know how fucking stupid that is. You can possibly feel that way so that you can feel so much shame and guilt. And that's why I've been like reading and rereading in the last few months nonviolent communication. And I just like can't tell you how important this book is because violence, especially for me, because violence is such a like thing for me. I grew up with so much actual physical violence in my family and like the separation of anger from violence has always been something that I've been working on. But like violence, I keep thinking like all I want to do right now is not put more violence into the collective and doing that to say you're so fucking dumb, even though there's this activist part of me that wants to say I'm fighting for the right side. You know, I'm I'm like I'm it's like it goes. That's what nonviolence really is. It's the refusal to kill or to harm, you know, not because those people, quote unquote, the whoever, the enemies, you know, of whoever everyone thinks is their enemy, not because they didn't do something wrong, not because they weren't bad. That's why I think it's very important in a kind of like non-vengeful way to be very clear and transparent about the crimes that the Israeli state has committed, the crimes that the that Belgium, the kingdom of Belgium committed in the Congo, the crimes that every call, you know, like we should be clear about those things and we should give space to, to people, you know, who have experienced them to speak on them and to listen to them. That's very important, but it doesn't need to involve attacking people who believe differently. That's where I'm like, that's not a useful, it doesn't help. It just causes more defensiveness. And what you're saying you've been so right about is like, just so yeah, those emotions are real. That's you feel that way. I believe you. I believe that you feel this pain. Like that actually isn't contradictory towards the movement towards liberation. It's actually complementary. Like we have to be like everyone's feelings have to be allowed here. Right. It's like our inner child, like just because my inner child feels completely activated and is projecting that this person that I'm dating is going to rape me because you know, my history or whatever, that's not necessarily true. But if I'm going to turn to my inner child and be like, you're fucking wrong. Everything you're thinking is like insane. How could you possibly think that? Just because it happened to you once doesn't mean it's going to happen to you again. I don't know what kind of repair that's going to do in my body, right? But it's like turning towards that part and being like, yeah, I hear you. Oh my God. Like holding space for how much that part has been through and what you're saying in the ways that you were showing up for activism before. It's like, you can stand with Palestine. Sorry, I always get this wrong. Palestine, Palestine. Neither of us knows. Because 
I like, okay. I've heard lots well, of Europe saying, my apologies if I get canceled for this. Oh my God. Well, I just listened to what my friends say, my Palestinian friends, and they say Palestine. So, okay. It's like we can stand with Palestine and really spread awareness for the atrocities that are happening right now and be able to have the capacity to hold our Jewish friends' pain in what they're experiencing. And what you were saying before from that mode of being like, you're wrong. These are all the ways that what you believe is wrong. Like if the end goal is peace and the end goal is togetherness, that's just creating another division and almost perpetuating what's happening right now anyway. It's just continuing it. perpetuate it forever. I mean, think, let's go to a really agnostic, easy to discuss example. For example, like white men, you know, like it's so in vogue, it's so easy. And it's, you know, (laughs) there's really, you know, just to like hate on white men, you know, like, because they truly have committed the majority of the crimes in human history, like since uh, the 13th century... Yeah, when when we could really start to localize a group that can be considered white, that would be an imperialist power. Because I don't know if were the Romans were white. I guess anyway, whatever were they? Yeah, what is white? Good question. That's another question. But like, yeah, okay. The point though is, sorry, I was going on a historical tangent. But the point is, I've noticed now being a teacher is like I'm teaching these kids. They're like in their early twenties. And I'll make a comment because it's so part of my parlance now being in like progressive circles to be like, oh, yeah, you know, that's the fault of white men. And I'll look out at my classroom and there's usually only one white man in it. And I'm like, how does that kid feel? I just called this guy out. He's 20 years old. He's getting a start on life, you know, and to be like called out like that and put in this corner and being told like you are a certain way. And from a personal example, I'll say like during BLM or like, you know, even since then, I follow a lot of like black women creators or like women of color creators. And sometimes I'll hear them saying things about like white women. And it's like, I have to think, I have to go, okay, that's their experience. And, you know, there's something really, again, like it's part of the processing is really important. There's something really important about being able to name this is what, you know, white women have done and this is wrong. And like, and to kind of almost find solidarity and community and being like, oh, I, I'm, I'm so hurt by this group, you know, and I totally think that that belongs and it should be allowed. But I can't deny that when I see those things, there's this reflex in me that goes like, oh, okay, well, hang on. So I guess you don't like me anymore. You know, I guess we're not friends. And even though it's not personal and I can extend that to white men, you know, I can say like, well, if every time they hear something like that, it makes them go, okay, well, hang on. And I would love to believe that we could all hold space and say, I know that's not about me, you know, then blah, blah, blah. And to this point now, my point with men is like, I do feel like there's sort of a, it's very, and, and of course it's hard for lots of different people. I'm not like putting specific focus on white men as the only victims of the world, of course, but I can imagine, I think it's challenging for a boy growing up in the world today to know where to put your foot down. And, and it's also created a culture, like speaking of Kelly Brogan, that really doesn't, like, it doesn't teach boys to be men at all because it treats masculinity as toxic when actually there is toxic masculinity and there's divine masculinity and like there's strong masculinity. And yeah, basically that was a long way to say, yes, like I see it 
in my own community because people speak within their own community in a way they don't necessarily speak to the outside, like within like white men or in an all white group creates resentment, creates animosity, like people not wanting to listen even more, you know, and not to say that's the fault of anybody who says those things at all. Everyone has a right to say and feel how they want, but like, let's just, let's just notice that it is violent. It creates more violence to attack anybody or anything. Totally. And then it's like to not bypass the rage that is there in the book, My Grandmother's Hands. It's such a beautiful resource for somatic processing work when it comes to racialized violence or systems of oppression is just to name that it is important for us all to have safe spaces where we get to say the profane things. You know, like that's what happens in our somatic sessions with our one-on-ones when we're bringing it to each other, like me and you in the privacy of our own conversation, knowing we are bringing it this rage in this way because it needs to be processed in order to move through to be able to hold space for white men. You know, like so much of my history is growing up in a like a very what, rape culture, honestly, of like my white men fraternities. And so, gosh, everything is such a paradox. I'm holding exactly what you're saying. And I agree. And that is the goal I want. And because I, I continue to date white men, right? There are a lot of white men that I love that are great people. And I feel for them too. And I agree with you that like when the whole conversation is just lashing out against all white men and, you know, in nonviolent communication, the part where he talks about how making absolute statements is violent, you know, when we're like all white men are bad, or even I just noticed it in a rupture with a a really close friend of mine when, when she said something along the lines of like trauma needs to be processed tenderly. And and, and it set me off because I felt like, then I can't show up as I am. Like, what if I need somebody? And so that should or that absolute statement was really scary for my system. But yes, thousand percent what you're saying. It's like nuance everywhere. It's like me noticing the ways that I'm speaking just like about white men like that, like like without thinking about it. And also maybe the white men learning how to sift through and be self-led to be able to like not fully absorb that when it comes at them. So it's like each of us has this awareness and this. Yeah. Yeah. But I agree with what you're saying, because if I'm just coming at like my white male partner being like all white men are blah, 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 blah. My core unmet need is actually for him to just feel the pain that I've been through. And that's totally different when I come to him saying like, this is something you said. These are my feelings. These are my needs. And here's my request is totally different from you're just like all the other white men. Because immediately what happens in his body, armor, daggers being thrown out of the chest, like he's not, I'm not setting him up to hold my inner child like I actually want him to. Sometimes I find that like nonviolent communication and learning these ways of relating. It's kind of funny sometimes because it can be selfish. It's like, if I hold space for this person and truly have the capacity, I know that like they'll be able to hold me in my process. Yeah. What I'm, what I was about to say is like, it actually is selfish. Like we're talking about it as if we're doing this for the white men. But like, my point is, is like, we are fucking imperfect. And the more that I have learned to hold my imperfection and the fact that I am a person who is flawed, but I am still loved by God. I still belong in this world. And this is where I've like started becoming like weirdly Christian again. It's the text of Christianity, which is like not through my own acts, not through any, not through any reason, but I, I belong in this world and I, and I deserve to treat myself well and treat the world well. It's making me really realize like it is an untenable and egotistical position 
And it's very, it's a very uncomfortable position to be in, to be judging others, to say this group or those people or that person is wrong because it basically subconsciously is saying, and I am not that way. And that means that when we run up into situations where we do act poorly or we make the wrong choice or we make a mistake, we have no space for ourselves. We have no grace for ourselves with that because we've already gone out and said, people who do those things are terrible. And then that it's a very terrifying actually place to be in as a person to hold that belief. I really was trying hard to process in the last few months. How can I hold space for Jewish people and Jewish friends that I have who are feeling so much pain right now, even though a lot of my Arab friends are telling me that that expression of pain is painful to them. Like, how can I hold space for a pain that is causing other people direct pain? You know, and it was like very hard for me at for like with this particular person that I was talking about. Like I wanted to judge him so badly. And then this thought came to me one day when I was walking and I was like, so when you've been triggered, you've never reacted badly. Is that true? When you've been triggered, when you felt that your bodily safety was in danger, you you never lashed out, you never started being judgmental. And that's not true. Like I know that the worst quote unquote things that have happened in my life is because I was deeply, deeply triggered. And I don't hold grace for other people to have that. Then, then I'm basically subconsciously telling myself that when that happens to me, I'm fucked. And that is like kind of what we talked about during BLM was like this kind of holier than thou mentality. Like I'm not racist. I'm not, you know, the person who does those things. It's like, what happens then when you do bad things, when you do cause harm to your neighbor? Well, I'll tell you what happens is you refuse to see it. And that's the most dangerous thing is like when we refuse to see, and this goes back to like this processing I've been doing on my family because, oh my God, did I tell you this? Because I've been thinking so much about like in, in nonviolent communication, one of his main premises is that it is our stories that cause violence. And I had this breakthrough thought when I was driving the other day and it was like, okay, so the one thing that dis- that distinguishes humans from all other living beings in this world is our capacity to tell stories about ourselves. And it's both our most defining, beautiful characteristic and it's our most harmful and violent characteristic because the stories about ourselves are what give us identity, family, belonging, meaning, culture, food, all of that is stories like saying, this is who we are. This is what we eat. Here's what our ancestors made. You know, here's how we dress. This is the way we dance. This is the way we worship. Those are stories that we tell about ourselves and they give us tremendous meaning and they give us culture and they give us the things around us that do distinguish us from any other living being, like a sense of deep belonging. And there's this beautiful side to it, but it's also justifies all the worst harms in the world because it's like, if I believe for example, that my people have always been oppressed and hurt by those people, then I have no problem hurting those people, right? And so there's like, the stories cause the most tremendous violence. So I had this realization where I was like, okay, so I don't know if this is true, but is my theory is like, what, we can't get rid of stories. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying pick a side, they are either good or they're bad. What I'm saying is, what if we just could identify the story? Once you can identify the story that's being told, then at least you have a choice. At that point, you can either choose in this particular situation to like identify with it or not. But like, if you can just identify the story, then you can make a choice. 
And so I was thinking about my own family, about my own family system where there was so much violence and it was all permitted by everybody in the family system. We all were like, this is fine. I mean, we didn't think that or feel that in our bodies, but it was allowed to happen. And I was like, what was our story? What was the story? What was the story we were telling? And I finally, I kind of had this thought where I was like, the story was we are a perfect family because if we believe we're a perfect family, then anytime someone is violent or does these horrible things, it's very easy to just not see it and to say like, well, that's not part of the story of who we are. You know, like it becomes very easy to believe in this perfection and to put everything else outside of it. And that becomes so harmful because then you can live in an alternate reality. If your story is, I'm a good person because of my activism and these other people are bad because of what they're doing or how they're responding, then it won't allow you to see when you yourself can do horrible things to people. That's like the danger of absolutes, right? And then also like the kind of leaders that I've been really inspired by lately are the ones who show up and are like, I don't fucking know. And I'm going to make mistakes. And guess what? I'm going to also repair them because that's what most of us didn't experience. We experienced a lot of rupture, but no repair. And so we go into relating, like just trying to avoid the rupture, which is dangerous because then there's like a bigger rupture that happens and then we don't know how to repair. And so now it's more like, how can we show up imperfect? How can we cut other people some slack and in doing so cut ourselves some slack, which is like the whole point of growing our capacity to be with the unknown, the mystery, the the messiness of being in relationship and almost accept that, right? And then this is like another macro thing of like marriages. If we think about relationships, like everybody's like, oh, this is something I've been thinking about. Like, does monogamy work? Does traditional marriage work? And, you know, I've been on my own journey from my six-year relationship and everything of seeing like, well, does poly work for me? Do these other configurations work? And, you know, I think my body and the way I just am maybe more traditional or I desire something more traditional. But in my journey of this and like working with nonviolent communication, understanding how to relate to partners from having compassion of their upbringing and their attachment styles has made me realize the conversation is, again, this surface level, like, do marriages work or not? Like, does the institution of marriage work? But it's more like, there's like the guts of that is like, what if it's not just, what if it's not marriage? It's that we have assumed that getting married means that everything will be perfect. It's this fairy tale, beautiful wedding. And then afterwards, everything should be peachy. And I think that's the harm in itself is like what you're saying, the absolutes, because then we blip over all the hard conflicts and conversations that to me are actually the spiritual process of leaning in for each other, being in the messiness. Like when that arises to be like, oh, I love you so much. I'm going to be here with you in this. We don't know who's right or wrong, but let's be in it together. Yeah. And we, and so like the leaning in is everything. It's been showing me that like, that's why we do nervous system regulation. That's why we do our self work, not because it's going to make us get a nice house and a lot of money or, you know, whatever, but because it makes us more available for the real work. Like it's not about, I can just be the least racist person in the world that I will help the world. But actually what I need to be able to do is like hear when someone says to me, you're being racist. And I need to be able to hear that and go, okay, that's not destroying my entire self-perception. I can accept that I, I'm a flawed person who makes mistakes and does bad things. 
And actually, so are you person who's telling me that. And like, I'd like to lean in. Let's have that conversation. Like, let's relate. And we're not going to try to walk away from it with a judgment and a piece of paper that says this person was the good person and this person was the bad person. And now we know it's like to just to get into the mud with each other. Like, that's the whole job. And like, that's where, again, it goes back to that, like, Western capitalist, rationalist, humanist, whatever you want to call it, mentality is like trying to seek an answer or like a definition or, you know, even our our system of like right or wrong is like we want to put what to figure out who the guilty party is and put them in jail. It's like we're all about like assigning these categories when reality is that we're all every single person has within us just as much dirty crap as there is good shit. And if we could just like be with each other and hold those things, that would be everything, I guess. Mm-hmm. In Resma's book, the, My Grandmother's Hands, it's almost like assuming racism. There's no denying that history. So it's actually within our nervous systems that we have a reaction, like our body might tense up or whatever when we're around a certain group, right? Like that's just actually not something we control. That's something that's within our reptilian brain. And so then it's like when we have capacity and space to be like, okay, let's assume that. Or like Adriana Rizzolo, my teacher, she says, let's assume activation. And then when we assume that, then we actually have a way forward. We have a way to actually work through it together. And also going back to that like selfish way of relating is like this trick that I love is talking to someone's inner child and not their activation. It's been so helpful for like my mom, you know, somebody's like who's immediately defensive, who justifies like everything. I, I want to be like, uh, you're wrong. These are all your protective mechanisms. I see right through you. But I'm like, what's the point of that? Like, I don't need her to go on this entire crazy somatic healing journey for me to feel safe anymore. I'm just like, okay, what is her inner child saying? And then for me to be like, yeah, mom, I do recognize all the good things that you did, you know, and then that totally just like brings down her defenses. And then we we actually have a way of connecting because what I really want is to be connected to her. Right. Like, but I am used to my, my ego thinks that if I jump all these hurdles and prove her wrong and then she goes on her healing and does this trauma healing, then she will know that I'm right. And then she will love me in the way that I need. (laughs) But if I just want to shortcut straight to the connection, I could be like, I'm so solid in myself, my relationship to spirit. I have the community and women and the love in my life that sees me in that way. Like I don't need it from her. Then I can shortcut connect with her inner child first, and then she gives it back to me. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I thought of you the other day because I was advising a student and she had, like, taken a class at the school I teach at 20 years ago. And it was like when the curriculum was different, but it was a film class. And she was trying to get credit for that class to be substituted. And, like, we were hitting a wall when we were talking because she kept saying to me, like, I, I just don't understand. I paid for that class. I took that class. Why shouldn't I get credit for it? And in my mind, with my experience with universities, I was like, why would you get credit for something you took 20 years ago? Like, surely you know that these institutions are not that fucking effective. Like, no one has records from that time. Like, no. But she just kept going like, I just don't understand. It doesn't feel fair. It doesn't feel fair. And then I remembered you. And I, instead of, I stopped going, trying to explain the system to her. I kept, I was like, if she could just understand how the system works, then she won't feel so hurt by it. But I suddenly, I was like, no, I shortcut it. And I was, I just started going, you know what? Yeah, that is really unfair. You did, like, you took that class and I hear that. That sounds, that's frustrating. You spent money on something and now you're not going to get credit for it. And like, it immediately, 
yeah, I went, I never needed to explain anything to her. She did not need to understand it. She just needed to be heard in that feeling and be, and feel like I was going to help her out. And I think that's like what we hear with Marshall Rosenberg says that like people who are mediators in these very high stakes conflicts, they say that that works too. So I don't know if I haven't used it on a bigger scale, like you have, like maybe even with your mom, but it does seem to be effective. Yeah, totally. It's just the sciencey part of this is because what's activated for them is the implicit memories. It's bringing up memories for them and then they're in their subcortical brain, which is basically the reptilian brain. So that part isn't logic. It's not the prefrontal cortex. They can't hear your facts. They're just like freaking out. They're in fight or flight. And what you're doing is the way that you're showing up is like as a compassionate witness, which is how that inner child needs to be attended to in that moment. And the second you do that, you're helping them get back into their prefrontal cortex. Like that's basically what I'm doing with my clients in their activation. I'm I'm like being there with them in that like lower part of the brain. And then the second that happens, we can come back into the logical brain and then we could talk about the logical stuff. So it's, yeah. it's I love the nerdy science part. I feel like it has uh, my new metaphor for relating has been I've never fenced in my life. I think the most I know about fencing is like, what's the Lindsay Lohan iconic movie we love? Parent Trap. Parent Trap. Right. Yes. When they're like fencing. And so that's like yeah. my only knowledge of fencing. So sorry, if anybody fences. But like, I imagine like us before learning nonviolent communication attachment styles and knowing how to implement them in our relationships. I feel like then I'm just like a person wearing my fencing outfit. And like somebody is just like poking me and I'm and I'm not saying anything. And I'm like, they should just know not to poke me. Like, stop hurting me. Like, why are you hurting me? <laughs> you know, and then like having these tools is like, ah, somebody has handed me a sword and now we can spar. And it's not a war. We're not killing each other. We're like in the dance, you know, and that's how I feel like relate like relating to me has turned from something that's like violently terrifying. I'm so afraid of confrontation, all that stuff. Now into a game of like, let's see where we get with all of these tools. And it's fun. That's like, I would love to get there. I feel like that's what I've been learning in one-to-one. But I've been noticing like, for example, when I had the student kind of like really attack me and I felt like I had done everything that I could to help them. And I noticed I was so afraid of seeing him in class. Like he attacked me over email and I was like afraid of going into class because I realized whenever someone in that environment kind of like has a problem, I get really activated. Like my heart is racing. I feel my face flush. And I'm at that point, I'm kind of responding in a fight or flight way. And I, and it's either like I completely capitulate or I kind of sometimes like sting them back with like a sassy remark, which doesn't really help. That's where I've been realizing that I like haven't been going into situations with my own students with my fencing uniform on. Like what I would love to be able to do would be able to hear what's being said. Yeah. And just be like, okay, now here's like what I think about that. And let's, and use it as a, as a way to learn more about myself and, you know, whatever, improve my communication skills, but I'm, I'm too activated in those environments. And I notice it's different than other environments where I'm not activated, but I can definitely sense now like that when I'm activated, it really impedes my ability to like respond to people's needs or once in the moment and to hear them at all. That's where I'm realizing like, that's the point of doing my work. Like sometimes I'll just go to class. I'll just wake up and rush into school. Cause I'm like, yeah, I had to go to work today. Like I had to wake up early. Like I'm pissed, but it's like, if I really want to be doing this right, I like taking seriously, waking up, meditating, 
you know, doing the work that really helps me get into a parasympathetic state so that I can do that work. Cause that's like, now I'm realizing kind of the whole thing. It's not about when I teach them. It's like, how can I show up to be in a real authentic relationship with anybody I come across, including my students? Totally. You know, just to pop your good girl bubble, like it's going to be messy. Of course, if somebody's attacking you, like there's no shame in you just responding out of self-protection still. And also just commending you for continuing to then reflect on the situation after. And then you get, you know, you get to do your own work and see what happens next time. It's really, it's a game. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Art of Relating. We mentioned practicing nonviolent communication and how learning to relate with each other to allow space for conflict, differences, and expanding our capacity for discomfort to me is the silent revolution that I feel like will change the world that we live in right now. And if that's something you're interested in working on in a group of other dedicated people and you've done a lot of the one-on-one therapy work and you're ready to actually practice showing up and speaking your truth in a group setting, me and my co-facilitator Zori begin our three-month program, The Art of Relating, on the full moon on January 27th. As a group, we'll be witnessing each other in repatterning our attachment trauma, as well as actively being present and expanding the capacity of our nervous systems to be with discomfort and to commit to connection despite disagreements. This has been a transformative practice for me to be able to even have a voice to speak on social media or to share my opinions and experience deeper intimacy and connection in all of my relationships. And I would love to invite you if you feel called to grow in your relational leadership to join us in this program. There's an early bird discount pricing that's available through December 31st. So if you want to learn more, you can find the link below to get more info and book a call with me to see if this would be a good fit. And I'll see you next time on The Art of Relating. My brother live in a jungle concrete Like a belly gone rumbling Only wants a taste of the sky Wind and fire set in the seeds For the son of his son to come with him one day Taste the roots he was born from Passing the story how all hands came together as one.